This is the Bon Appetit Foodcast, and I am Adam Rappaport. Before we get to this week's show, I want to give a special shout out to the Healthiest Guide to Your 30s up right now on our Healthiest website. It's just a really awesome package, beautifully written, might be appealing to you because perhaps you're in your 30s or in your 20s and you're going to be in your 30s soon enough. We've got a dinner party primer from Emil Stonic and his wife, Lauren Schaefer, the nine kitchen items every BA staffer is buying and keeping for life. Uh, oh, I like this one. So your friends had a kid. Here's how to hang out with them, even if they eat dinner at 5 p.m. Uh, and a really fun sort of roundup of interesting folks talking about, quote, if I could do my 30s all over again, I would dot, dot, dot. We've got last week's podcast guest, Stella Bugby. We've got chefs Gabrielle Kamara and Nina Compton, Michelle Yo from Crazy Rich Asians, all sorts of interesting people imparting interesting advice. So you can check that out now, The Healthiest Guide to Your 30s. It is on BeHealthyish.com. And now for this week's show. Deputy Editor Julia Kramer talks to Akira Akuto and Nick Montgomery, the owners and chefs at Konbi, the tiny Japanese sandwich shop in Los Angeles. Basically, if you've been on food Instagram at all in the last year, you are intimately familiar with the cross-section shot of their famous egg salad sandwich on milk bread, perhaps their katsu sandwiches as well, or their absolutely perfect pastries. So Julia chats with Akira and Nick about how they met cooking in New York City and why they decided to move out west and open their own spot. They go into depth about the challenges they face turning out their menu in such a small space and more. All right, here we go. I wanted to give people a little bit of the story behind how Conby came to be. So I kind of thought that we could start at what maybe is the beginning, which is when you guys met working at Sambar. Can you talk a little bit about what your day-to-day lives were like then, you know, being a cook in New York City and just what it was like? Hmm. Set the stage, 2007, 2008. Oh, wow. A long time ago. That was a special time. Uh, I think it was a lot cheaper, relatively speaking, to live there. I think my first apartment back in 2007 was like five fifty a month. This is out in Bushwick. Wait, are you guys um, serious? It sounds like you're talking about like 1955. Yeah, no, it seems like it was more reasonable then. Yeah. I mean, uh, and and we were working at Momofuku together, but I was at the noodle bar as a sous chef. So around okay. the corner, I was uh, the opening sous chef, and Nick was on the opening team, opening like shift at Sambar. So we would hang out after work a lot. Uh-huh. Um, and I think at the time we were just... Sambar was still going through its, like, figuring out what it's going to be phase. <laughs> like, it was still a Korean burrito shop during lunch. Yeah. Uh, and it was stressful. That's all I remember. Like, what type of hour days were you guys I working? mean, you know, honestly, like, back back then, like, you're just, like, a line cook, you know? Like, so you're not, like, logging, like, 80 or 100 hours or anything crazy like that. Like, I think the... Honestly, the most that I ever really worked then was was probably like sixty hours a week, mm-hmm. and Dave was just like, "Look, like you should work a little less." Like, <laughs> <laughs> I worked more. Yeah, as as a manager there, yeah. you certainly log a little bit more. more. And also, it was the start of uh, the BlackBerry phase in the company. So it was what a was lot. That? It was more. All the managers started getting uh, personal BlackBerry, so you had to be replying to those quickly and oh, that way wow. became very detrimental at night and it's just like emails 
all the time. So this is like pre iPhone. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It was with the the BlackBerry with the rollerball and everything. Nice, easy to type on, I guess. Easy to type on. It was like the the philosophy was just like, sambar open, noodle bar was going, so everyone wanted to be on the same page. So in case some reviewer is coming in or working on a dish with the same ingredients, no one's like doing the same thing, just like that kind of stuff. So then, where did you guys go from there? I stayed in New York and cooked at um, Marco Canar's place uptown. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it basically, the crash happened and that was gone. So then I moved to Singapore for a job. And I mean, we kept in touch, but mm-hmm. I think Nick was still here. Yeah, I stayed here for a little while. Um, I went to uh, the Brooklyn Star with uh, Kino. Uh, who is Dave's like opening partner and mm-hmm. all that good stuff? Uh, who left to do his own project, um, and I was there for a, a while as as Kino's sous chef, um, and then we had a fire, and um, I ended up actually going back down to uh, home for me, which was Alabama, to 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 just be with family for a couple of months and and kind of regroup, and then I, I went back up to New York and did a couple other things. And at what point? Were you guys like we're going to LA? Mm. Well, I mean, I guess there were a couple of other stops. Like I went to Chicago for like a little over a year, year and a half, um, and then I came back. We I, I joined uh, uh, Chef Tin at Montmartre. Actually, uh-huh. eventually left that restaurant, um, and I was just kind of done. And so I I just took the car out to California. It took like five weeks. Took a road trip. It's great. <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And then <laughs> a couple months later, I was like, all right, I I, I think I got to work in a restaurant again. So, um, you know, when you're like going through your quarter life crisis, <laughs> Nick was trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And I would get texts about like, do you think I should be a shoemaker? <laughs> I was like, it's really hard. It's much harder than cooking food. So I think he was in that phase. Yeah. But California seemed like a good place to be. And I was still here, so, um, but really sick of being here, so. Yeah, so this was probably like five years ago, I guess. Yeah. And we, and, and, uh, you know, we had been starting to talk about opening a place, well, what that might be like. Because it was at a point where I was like, I really don't know how many more people I can work for. Mm-hmm. I kind of need to be in a different position. And, um, I don't know. We always kind of saw eye to eye on how we would like cook and like would want to run a business and the values that we kind of feel are very important. Um, so yeah, yeah, at a certain point, cooking for ten years, you kind of just see the same um, patterns in restaurants. I mean, they're different food, and like obviously they're different day to day operations, but the same problems are were there, and we didn't really feel like. If we're going to open a restaurant, we should do the same thing. So so at that point, five years ago or so, did you have the vision for what Cone B was? Mm. We no. we kind of started out with like what we wanted for the culture of the company and the, the lifestyle that we were hoping to have. And then uh, it kind of went from there. So like, okay, so we want to have like some amount of work-life balance, something like simple, casual, and it kind of led us to the daytime kind of thing. Um, originally we were thinking about doing like an Italian sandwich shop, uh-huh. but like there's already a couple of those in LA. So, uh, we felt best not to just like jump into that pool with those folks that have been doing it for a while. And, 
uh, we were doing pop-ups, um, and one of them, you know, we were doing Italian sandwiches, and we threw in a um, like a Japanese sandwich. It was a version of the omelet sandwich that we currently serve, mm-hmm. and that was one of the ones that people were just like, "Holy shit! Like that's 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 great!" Like, <laughs> um, and it like, catch people off guard. So we, we just kind of went down that that rabbit hole of like the Japanese sandwiches and what might go with that. I think a couple of things happened. We didn't know anything. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> so we thought we were going to open a restaurant in a year. And that took much longer than we thought. And just looking at space after space after space, we kept encountering problems we didn't know how to solve. And then we kind of just pulled back because at a certain point, the numbers start getting really big for leases. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, that doesn't sound like something we want to take on as a first project. So, um, our friends of ours have a coffee shop that's awesome, and they passed on a space, and they told us to look at it. So that's what Combi is now, but it was like a very small barbershop, and no one really knew what to do with it. But the people who are there who are trying to rent it and the owners of the building were willing to do a really good deal. So we were thinking about what would be different in L.A., what something that we could create that we could have a daytime operation have a life at night and then figure out how we can pay people like the right amount of money that we can we can so I think all those factors kind of came together yeah and then also like kind of hopefully serving something that is somewhat respectable by our peers Mm -hmm. you know yeah it's (laughs) yeah we try to do everything like the right hard way but make it look very easy uh, we don't want to like talk about all the stuff that goes into each dish, so I don't know. Like sandwiches are delicious and they're like affordable, so I can't cook in a restaurant anymore that like your friends can't come to. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. all those things are a fact. I think a lot of those things play into people's like desires now who are trying to open restaurants because they're just like going through the same stuff. Uh, and then we went to Japan together, and, and I think Nick's mind exploded. I think he's still there. <laughs> <laughs> Had you been there before, Nick? Uh, it was our first time a couple of years ago, yeah. And when you guys were there, what were you researching in particular? Mm, yeah. Uh, I, uh, Util- like, how to utilize space. Yeah, how to utilize space, uh, and kind of like the feeling of being in a few different types of places. There's kind of three types of restaurants over there that we took inspiration from the uh kiss which is like a very old school coffee shop where like it it's it's awesome um there's normally like old old salarymen in there having a cigarette and reading a newspaper and, a, and having a coffee and there's usually like some snacks and stuff like that like crappy like pastries but it's more like it's like not a place where you go to do work it is where you go to like take a second and like read the newspaper and do something else for a little while um, and that's kind of a, a feeling that we wanted to create, not like a cafe where you bring your laptop and you do your work. It's mm-hmm. like, take a second. Yeah. Um, Let's not rewrite history. We we wanted it to be like that. Like, that's what we thought it was going to be like. Oh, it's going to be slow in the morning. It's going to be a place we can just come and read the newspaper and, like, just enjoy your time. Didn't, it didn't work out that way. But that's what we wanted. <laughs> it's a little bit like that. So I don't want to pretend like, like we designed this place that's going to be busy. Like, we just thought, like, people are going to come throughout the day enjoy their time there, eat something really good, yeah. have some coffee. Like, that was what we envisioned. But at the same time, it's set up as 
for people who haven't been there, you, you know, one counter with 10, ten seats, seats. Mm-hmm. right? So there's no like tables where right. someone could be like parking their laptop. Like, that wasn't. Yeah, it's unintentional, but like you can actually like hardly even open a laptop on the counter without it bumping <laughs> into like another part of the counter. Which yeah, is you can read a magazine. <laughs> Ma- even the newspaper yeah. is really hard. Yeah. But the magazine's good. Yeah, we were going to have like newspapers on like rods, like on the wall and stuff like that. And we're like, well, all right. So someone wants to read a newspaper, they're just going to be like all over the person next to them. And that's going to be annoying. So magazines it is. <laughs> and are people in L.A. sensitive about that? I mean, one thing that always strikes me about going there is the restaurants are just in general so much bigger. Mm-hmm. People have a lot more space. Tables are spaced out a lot more. There's almost like a different vibe that you guys have brought in by opening such a small, tight space. I'm, I mean, I think the, the place that... I, we went to is Petit Trois. Like, it's mm-hmm. very small. People seem to always like that. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot of those places. So I just thought that would be fine. I think it's people will like it. Um, I mean, there's some people who just don't do the research, and they come with, like, eight people, mm-hmm. and they have a problem with it. But that's not that's not something we, like, get upset about. It's just, like, that's not my problem. You, you came with eight people. Like, we have ten seats. Yeah. So we just try to split them up, and you know, we try to do our best. But that's like going to a fifty-seat restaurant with forty people. Like, like relatively speaking, that's insane. Yeah. So, um, I think people have no problem with that space if they're treated the way we treat them. Like, Mm -hmm. like all their needs are taken care of. So it's not like, oh, now I have to get up to get water. I have to get up to do this. It's like you just park yourself there. You have a lovely time. Everything comes to you. So it's it's different. Like. I think you're there to get taken care of, and most people are cool with it. Sorry, Nick, you were saying about the type of spots that you were sort of seeking out on the yeah. research. Yeah, so trip. the so we talked about the Kisitin. Uh, also, certainly take a lot of inspiration from like the new uh, style of like coffee shops around Tokyo. There's like all sorts of stuff from like the style of them to like the way they they uh, the, the types of offerings they have and the way they're laid out. Uh, there's some really, really cool uses of space over there um, that made us feel a little less crazy about what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, th- there's, like, lots of, like, windows, you know, like, takeaway windows, which, like, you know, we, we have one at the restaurant, um, and just really great utilization of, of, of tiny spaces that anywhere else would just seem completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But you go there, and they make it happen, and they make great, great stuff. Um, and then, like, lastly... Um, this is mostly like the the sandwiches uh, side of it, but inspired by like the convenience stores, uh, the konbini, which is where we get the name from. So I want to go back to something you mentioned, Akira, about the food sort of looking simple, mm-hmm. and I think that one way that I might describe the food there is like deceptively complicated. Like it looks pretty straightforward, like you know what you're getting, but actually when you start to understand the process behind it, you're like, oh, whoa, there's like a lot that goes into this that isn't perhaps like readily apparent to the to the eye. Can you talk a little bit about the development process behind something like the omelet sandwich or the katsu sandwich and sort of like how how you workshopped it and got it to the point that it's at now? Okay, well, we'll do the pork first. It's much easier to explain. For us, like all the dishes we tested for a while at our houses, so they were they're in a decent place when we opened. But the way that like the restaurant 
process goes, you have changes in equipment and like you thought it would be this, it's not that anymore. Mm -hmm. So you pretty much have to start over when you actually get to open. So then our size has a lot of restrictions. So we have storage issues and just cooking firepower issues. So the dishes we do are mostly based going backwards. Like what can we store? Hmm. How can we pick this up in two minutes with these pieces of equipment? And if, it, if you can't do those two things, we, we just don't run those dishes. Huh. Uh, we had a lot of other dishes that we wanted to run that just we can't do. So like the one we're doing tonight for like the sandwich, like the dessert sandwich is one of those kind of items that doesn't work at the restaurant, but at an event, it's fine. So the pork, we basically will get in pork loin. Like we tested shoulder and loin. The shoulder just is a little bit too fatty at certain parts and then you just lose a lot so it doesn't make sense for for us um and then we'll take uh we'll we'll you know slice the loin up and then we'll jacquard it and then brine it in a koji brine keeps it nice and tender when we cook it and seasoned and then we'll bread it and freeze it so we have panko that we buy that's quite expensive and like big irregular flakes which we we didn't really know anything about until we started asking about we want panko and then our Japanese rep was like which one do you want there's eight different kinds and we're like well what how expensive are they we're like okay those the top two are not gonna happen they're <laughs> ones like flash frozen and it's insanely expensive so we have one that's really good so we bread them and then we we f- freeze them this is like the only way we can store them and we find that they also just fry flatter <laughs> if they're frozen but so there's a certain number that we can hold in the freezer and the, that's pretty much like our max for the daily production and then we have to keep that balance with pork we get into brine for the next day so it's like that is the ga- the game we play at the restaurant it's not like oh we're sold out of food it's just like we 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 can't hold more food that's why we're sold out so so how many for example katsu sandwiches can you sell per day i think max has been like 150 uh, yeah, yeah 150 but that's just, that's hard yeah that's a, that's a lot <laughs> that's we're a, breading that's a during service yeah. to get through yeah so that's not great you don't want to do that in no. that space <laughs> and how many egg salad sandwiches are you doing a day so they're kind of neck and neck yeah okay yeah that's max like that'll get you don't, can't do more than that so we'll do 2500 eggs a week like peeled for the omelet and the egg salad and that's that's it's a lot for us to even store that many eggs. It's it's a problem. But did you know what was going to happen with this egg salad sandwich? No, that no. was that we, we, like no. That we, was we bet pork, <laughs> pork and omelet. We were like those are the two. Yeah. We're gonna bet our money on those two for sure. Uh huh. Egg salad? No, not at all. Not even a five minutes of thought we put into that of like we're it's gonna be the top sellers. It's just like. We're going to take it seriously, but we'll sell 10. And why do you think this sort of took on a life of its own? I guess it it looks pretty, and it's different than what most egg salad sandwiches look like. How did you decide to put this egg in the center, this, like, halved Mm. egg? Family Mart. It's one of the most awesome convenience stores in Japan. So there's Family Mart, Lawson's, and, and um, 
Seven Eleven. Yeah. And there's a couple others, but those are the big players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's one that they do where they take, they they put a, like a medium boiled egg in the in the middle, and um, it, it just looks cool and it adds a cool textural like kind of contrast. Um, so we played around with kind of our our take on that. Yeah, and then we started to play with that, and then it evolved into this current form. But there's lots of little steps that we had to learn along the way of how to place the egg this way so that it shows and then mm-hmm. how to we twist like it's just like a couple other little things that we do now that makes it consistent but it looks super easy yeah and just like for for the record <laughs> it was not made that way because we thought that anyone was going to take a, a picture of an egg salad sandwich and like put like it would end up all over the internet like that is insane and it's great, <laughs> but that was like the, the farthest thing from our mind when we were like, yeah, we're gonna serve an egg salad sandwich. Like, uh, we're gonna p- try to take care in the way we do it and make it the best we possibly can. But like, I'm not expecting everyone to just lose their minds about it. <laughs> and in this like complicated ecosystem that you have where there's only so much of each thing that you can have in storage because there has to be room for all the other things. Mm-hmm. What was the, was there an impact of this egg salad sandwich becoming so popular, like on the rest of the menu? Mm, I don't know that that's, no, no. I mean, it, we, we, it's, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we still have the same menu. Yeah. It's just uh, harder for us because there's so much more egg salad mix taking think, up space. I uh-huh. think it probably hinders like progression a little bit to like constantly have to have x amount of space devoted to this huge selling item and it's like well i can't like take that away (laughs) people will be so mad yeah i think it's the (laughs) same thing that like a lot of the chefs we work for have suffered through it's just like oh there's the signature item that we now have that we can't take off the menu that sells and we're trying to highlight vegetables on our menu but like on the weekends it People just the vegetables come and don't sell. Order three sandwiches and yeah. nothing else. Like that's fine. That's that's totally fine. People could come and get whatever they want. Yeah, that's fine. It's, it's just you know sad for the vegetables. <laughs> PSA: Order the vegetables. Order the vegetables. <laughs> we'll make a video and we can sell some vegetables. The farmers will be much happier with us. <laughs> no, I mean it's great for business. The egg salad sells, and that's that's fine with us. But we like, it's hard to understand like the popularity of it in in that sense i mean the omelet to me makes the most sense Mm -hmm. there's a lot that goes into that and going back to just kind of like how we got to that point it was like we started with the pop-up and it was a very simple version of that sandwich and it got refined we had different ways to pick it up if 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 this didn't work out because we we tested on um, gas which is a lot easier to make and the induction has to be flat and then you know it's a little bit harder to manipulate the pan so there was a couple backup methods that are not great uh in case that didn't work but we make it happen now and it's, it's difficult but yeah we make a proper dashi and then we mix that with uh the eggs mm-hmm. and then we have a uh omelet mix basically that we make the, the omelet sandwich with what do you mean an omelet mix? Like, well, it's just like the dashi, soy, uh, use sake instead of mirin, uh, and then uh, yeah, that's actually it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's similar. Right. Like it's similar to like what you get at a sushi place at the end of the meal, uh-huh. but without um, sugar and without. Sometimes they put it in like shrimp, like so we don't have that. But yeah, it's very umami rich because the the kombu we use is very expensive. So, like all that stuff is like tied to like making high end food, but then we have to make it so we can charge much less. So we'll take all the stuff from the dashi and make pickles. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of stuff is more fun for us but also a necessity trying to figure (laughs) out how to use the absolute best product and still offer it at a price that's like not crazy well the secret is like if you go to japan Mm -hmm. you go to a restaurant that's very old and there's two people working there it's like husband and wife or whatever and they can charge uh you know 100 bucks or 200 bucks it's just like their labor is so little but Mm -hmm. they use the best products so like it's hard to compare it to like the restaurants we worked at are like high-end restaurants like 35 40 people on the line or whatever so it's like it's like the less people touch your food it's gonna be cheaper obviously so okay but on the flip side like if you're sitting at the counter at combi you're basically watching someone just full-time making the omelets yes yes for Yes, that's a station now. Like, yeah. we didn't yeah. have, like, well, it was just us two when we opened. So <laughs> we didn't have stations. It was just like, we have to do this and wash dishes and prep and cook and come back. Like, that was it. Yeah, we're like, no one's going to show up. Like, we can do it all. Like, it's fine. And it's not that big. We'll just <laughs> run over there, do some dishes. And then, oh, how does the dish, how do the dishes go back on the, on the counter? Oh, we should get a server. It was like day by day. Yeah. Oh, we should add that person. Oh, we need that person. Like, okay. We never, I've never worked front of the house. I have no idea. <laughs> At what point did things start getting really busy? Day one. <laughs> Day one we sold out. I blacked out. I 12 o'clock. Yeah, I that, don't remember anything. That whole month of, of October, like, yeah, I, I try not to remember that. <laughs> I remember there was a full board, and that was the last thing I remember. Full yeah. board, meaning the, the sign-in sheet? Like the, the ticket Oh, the like ticket the ticket rail, rail is okay. totally yeah. full. So that means you I, have, like, orders for, like, 20 different We looked at things. each other, and we're Order. like, there's no one else here. How are we going to get out of this situation? <laughs> we, you just have to do it. <laughs> then we're like, clo- we just closed the restaurant. We're like, we're just going to finish this because that's it. We're out of bread. Yeah. <laughs> that's been the thing is, is yeah. just running out of bread. <laughs> you guys make the bread our, our our dear friend andy at, at bub and grandma's makes the bread for us he, we worked with him for a while to dial it in and we're still continuing to try to make it better whenever we can but uh I'm, I'm pretty happy with what he what he ended up with but yeah there's a there's a max that we that he can make i mean he has a bakery that makes custom breads for other restaurants plus just bread that he makes mm-hmm. so for us it's he just makes the bread f- that particular bread for us so there's just the limit that he can do in that space until he expands so that's the major that coupled with our space is the issue of us selling out on the weekends because people are it's just a different like we're used to people ordering two sandwiches and sides now it's become like oh i order four sandwiches so like wait wait four sandwiches for how many people Sometimes one person. Yeah, so it's like very skewed ordering. So that's why now what we had planned for is like, oh, we'll make it to 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. It's like based on data we've had from three, four months in the beginning. It's like people order two sandwiches, and then they order sides and a coffee. It's like, oh, it's balanced. And now people come like, I have eight sandwiches. And you're like, oh, we're going to run out at like 12 o'clock. Like, 
we we haven't put a limit on that because it seems a little weird. So we're trying to figure it out. We're, Pe- we're, we're working on it. Sorry, I, I haven't gotten over the part about people ordering four sandwiches yet. So people are doing that because they want to try everything. I think that's I think that's kind of it. yeah. And like, but like some people like finish. They'll finish like three of them and like just pack up a couple of the pieces that are left over to take it to go. Uh huh. <laughs> Some people will come in <laughs> on the weekend and very commonly wait at seven forty-five, sit down at the counter, order four sandwiches, then order four to go. I, I, it throws off our ability to control how much food we have up until three. So we're trying to figure that out. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting, um, like unexpected outcome of having a really small menu is that in a weird way that might like tempt people to just want all of it that's fine <laughs> yeah i mean like if the, someone came in and was like i want 350 sandwiches i'd be like oh, i don't know it's weird but make sure you just let us know yesterday we would just <laughs> close the restaurant have a buyout <laughs> so one thing we haven't talked about at all are the pastries no we haven't talked about the pastries um which for anyone who doesn't know in addition to having these japanese sandwiches and the underrated vegetables vegetables i was just about to say underrated vegetable sides (laughs) um and a really great coffee tea situation that we haven't talked about either um you are making probably the best chocolate croissant i've ever had and it is a real mind game trying to figure out how to get one of these croissants because I'll just tell the story of sort of how it went down on my last trip to LA. Show up at 11 a.m. and the croissants are sold out. Okay, so I'm like, all right, I, that's fair, whatever. I'll come back tomorrow, the minute that you open. So get up show up 8 a.m. on the dot oh, croissants don't come out until around 9 30. <laughs> <laughs> so get an egg salad sandwich go over to my cousin's house hang out come back perfect timing croissants are coming out of the oven it's like it's like winning the lottery to sort of like score one of them so how how does this like very sort of rarefied pastry program fit in to the mm. whole restaurant. So, so yeah, so if you go to like um, cafe or like whatever around Tokyo, you'll oftentimes find like French pastry. Um, like they love obsessing over the details of the technique and uh, just making it perfect, you know? Um, so, you know, when thinking about, we wanted to serve some pastries and so um, that was just kind of the logical thing. Um, we like to eat pastries. That's mm-hmm. what it comes down to. And Respect that. Yeah, love pastries. And we know we can't leave the restaurant to eat them most of the time. So, yeah, and the connection between France and Japan is well established. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people go learn how to make things and come back and make the same thing or something better. It's like. French food, French pastries, French fashion. It's like big in Japan. Mm-hmm. It's always been. And it, it, it's like a lot of this stuff was like, okay, we have coffee, we have sandwiches, we have vegetables, something's missing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like it's a morning restaurant. So let's do pastries. But let's let's make ones that make sense for this restaurant size-wise and let's make the best version we can. 
Yeah. So I th- uh, yeah. That's it. I mean, I think that the again size constraint was a big thing, which is one of the reasons why we we run out of croissants every day, uh, <laughs> is because we just don't have that much space to to store them and produce them. We saw this like cool like hand crank sheeter, which is like the thing you use to laminate the dough uh, to make the croissants. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had never seen anyone use that before. We saw this little restaurant in, in Tokyo, and we're like, huh. Like, I bet like we could st- stuff that in our tiny little space that we're, we're working on and and make make decent croissant, and uh, so we did. What they didn't tell us at PATH is what we know now, after sending a stage there, is they have a back room. PATH they is don't the, talk where about. you learned how to make yeah. the croissant. Where they have a back room production facility, but there's a show <laughs> like croissant making in the window we're like <laughs> amazing how do they do that yeah because so, they just set it up on like a table in the dining room like during like service and like huh we could probably do something similar so like we just set it up right on the bar like after service because like it would be really weird yeah. if someone was doing that in your space while you were eating but <laughs> um, yeah, they tricked us but we got the last <laughs> laugh so how do you guys have a background in pastry like was have you made croissants at other places? Honestly, no. I, I, I had not made a croissant probably since cooking school before opening yeah. Cone B. I eat a lot of, a lot of croissants. Well, I so do I, but I couldn't make the Cone B croissant, you know? No, you could. You could do it. <laughs> it just takes, pr- it's just like yeah, pasta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. You can make cannoli, it just takes a lot of heartache. So you learned a bit about the process from PATH. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is in Tokyo? It's yeah. in Tokyo. And they were they open to teaching you? Like, how did you, yeah. you have to? Yeah. There's yeah. A, uh, so like, it's on a street that has four other places, at least, that we like to go to in the morning. They're all like specialized in a couple of things. And the friend we sent to stage at PATH kind of came back and told us that you guys basically made a restaurant that has all of those components in one place. And we're like, oh, <laughs> I guess that's true. We go one place for coffee. We go one place for egg salad sandwich. We go here for pastries. So maybe it was in our back of our head. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's our favorite area of Tokyo currently. And they, they were very willing to help us out. Um, I think they were just sick of me emailing them. <laughs> so they're their pastry chef at the time came and just kind of worked with us for two and a half months. Oh, wow. Yeah. And a lot of that time was just spent figuring out how to use uh, American flour. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that productive for us. We only really got a month of grinding with him. Uh, so, yeah, it was stressful. What is different about American flour? Mm, I mean, they they could be slightly drier uh, or 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 whatever. Like this, pretty much any country you go to, like, is going to be different. Like, pretty yeah. big fluctuations. The European flour is very different too, and like the the protein content, which is what is going to uh, give the gluten that makes the structure that makes it all happen, and allow you to have like su- like a croissant that is like super like tender but doesn't like rip apart when it's baking. You know, anyway. There's a lot, All of, sorts yeah, of, stuff. a lot of little little things that have big effects when the croissant is baking that you think looks good, and then, hmm, wow, yeah, this, this is gonna be the worst day. Yeah, <laughs> you have to pretty much have like perfect case scenario for it to be like perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because he was working with us, and we would get in things that 
are pretty much the same thing he gets at in Tokyo,、uh-huh. and he'd be like, "No, it's not like this in Tokyo. It would be like the butter we get in is just just a little bit folded wrong or just slightly not perfectly shaped, like rectangle." I'm、like that's never happened in my life. Like, <laughs> okay, so he's like, I don't. Yeah, like we can fix it. It's not a problem. But for them, it's just like it never happens. So things are a little more controlled there. And have you tweaked it from their version, or do you yeah, use like the same butter? No, when we worked with him, we had a different. We have a different butter now than what we had then. It's um a very very expensive French butter from Normandy. Um, called Disney. Yeah, D- Disney. Yeah, I can't speak French, so I. We, yeah. yeah, we don't try until, not to until pronounce the, it <laughs> until the rep came. And I was like, "Look, how how do you say this?" I was like, "Okay, cool, got it." <laughs> But yeah, what chocolate do you use? Cocoa berry. It's like Valrhona's rival. Oh.、Wow. But the batons are just slightly wider. Yeah, they're、so. shaped in a way that makes it it easier to to roll up and shape the croissant so that you can get chocolate in every bite. There's another like key point. <laughs> yeah, and how many croissants come out each day? We do normally thirty six on the weekday, and we're we're starting to figure out how to push production on the weekends to do it like forty two to forty eight on the weekends.、Uh, it is t- is tricky, but like we're trying really hard to make as many people happy as we can.、Oh. So, so、um, now that you have this. Very busy restaurant. Thinking back on your like initial goal of opening a place with a more of a work-life balance, I、mm-hmm. mean, ha- has that how's that panned out? Overall, like it's it's not bad. Like normally, I'm out of there in time to like have dinner with my soon-to-be wife, yeah, <laughs> <laughs>、uh, and and all that. And and you know, a lot of times I'll have at least one weekend day off. Sometimes Saturday and Sunday. You know, like it's, it's not so bad. Like, there's a lot of work. There's certainly a <laughs> lot of stretches. Like as a, as an owner, that like you have to do whatever you have to do so that the restaurant can open the next day.、Um, and there's certainly periods that are are are, are hard.、Um, but I would say overall, is it is going in in the direction we wanted to,、uh, and we're still like working towards, like really having it be a balanced thing. But.、Um, I'm 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 pretty happy with how it ended up in that respect. I mean, it, it's constant work. It's the culture that we created and are trying to create is very f- respectful. Like we're very respectful of our staff. We respectful of each other, and we try to set an example of taking time off ourselves. It's not like, oh, you should take time off, but we're going to be here seven days. Like、mm-hmm. we're not going to micromanage. But we also found that there's Effects from doing that. There's just like people think it's a little too lax, so they treat it differently.、Hmm. It's still work, but I think it can be confusing. So we've been putting in more structure lately because we hired a、um, front of the house manager, and she's she's put like laying down the law. It's, <laughs> it's great, but we we just didn't know how to do that because it's already gone down this path of being like a a, a friendly environment. So. She's kind of reining it in a little bit, into the point where it's okay. It's still work, but we can still be respectful and get all the work done. And I think,、um, you know, people get paid pretty well there, and that's kind of was important for us in terms of like we want to pay people more than everyone else because selfishly, like they'll stay,、hmm. and you can create a bigger company. And how are you going to create a bigger company if people aren't staying? It's like just all of it's all kind of 
tied together and we yeah. kind of try to look at it as a big picture you have to tackle all of them at once you can't just be like oh i want to create this one thing i'll just focus on that because then it doesn't really work so it's like how do we create this bigger thing we need to tackle all of them together and it's it's quite difficult because there's blind spots that we didn't know that we're now we're seeing and now we're we hired someone to handle those. Mm-hmm. so it's like yeah it's no different than a startup like i think it's the biggest thing is like figuring out the things that you're not the best at or that you need help with and just hiring someone to do that that's good at it you know and like being honest about what you're capable of yeah it definitely helps to have a busy restaurant because you you have resources to solve the problems that you have so we're very thankful for that so I mean, thank you, egg salad. <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of times with a successful restaurant, you would maybe expand the menu or expand the hours, but it doesn't seem like those are really possibilities within the space mm. that I th- you're in. I think, yeah, I think um, expanding hours is just not possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, even if we could, like, I, I would rather keep it like more of a daytime concept right? because that's kind of what we set out to do. And like, that's kind of the whole work life balance thing and like, yeah. having kind of a different set of hours for our staff to work as well. Um, so they can have something more of a normal life. So like, as long as we are hitting the number we need to hit, like I'm not going to like try to push it and be like, all right, I think we can like pull off something for dinner and like make that extra buck. Like right. I, I don't care about that. Like I, I want people to be happy. And like as long as their numbers are fine, their numbers are fine. We'll love to close one day a week. Yeah, love to. But yeah. in, in order to do that, then like you have to start thinking right. about dinner service sometimes. So it's like, what are you what are you gonna do? Like anyway. Uh, so yeah. So we'll, we'll start playing out some new menu items soon. I think it's been a really busy past couple of months. Like a lot of people on vacation and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and uh yeah. we got a new chef to cuisine starting yeah soon very very exciting and so she's got a lot of new ideas and energy so probably running a lot of specials this summer oh, cool yeah, i would say look out july it's oh, gonna be an exciting month my gosh gotta new, make it to july yeah we got a, a, an awesome pastry chef coming on to 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 help really push things forward in that department um so like it's it's a it's a good it's a good moment i think that's awesome anything else coming down the pipeline that you want to talk about we're opening like 55 combis next year that's what i figured yeah yeah Yeah. i think we're gonna retire soon no i mean we've we've we did well we got worked really hard let's not be we're not gonna say we didn't work hard it's just we got lucky as well. I mean, there's no way around it. Um, it resonated with people. And so we, now we have the second phase of like, we have offers coming to us, mm. but we just say no, because yeah. we're just not ready for those things. So we're filtering through real estate offers now. So that's like a lot of our time is spent doing that and making sure we don't mess it up. Because like, this is a good thing going, but it's still a baby. You know, it's it will die if we make the wrong decision here. So we're we're looking at a lot of spaces that are bigger that will make this one more efficient. Mm-hmm. So it's like more of us like how do we make two things better at once, not yeah. just like, oh, we're just going to grow another 
restaurant. Like, like right. we need to do another one that eases space issues and like, production to, issues. To, they work together, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Helps, like, you know, food costing and, and labor. So, like, those are, like, more of the factors at play than, like, oh, it has to be in this location. Like, it's not really, like, our main priority. So we're looking at that stuff, and we have some really good advice that we always turn to, so I think we'll be okay. But it's not its not something that can happen so fast, and I think it's really interesting to see, like, the examples we've had from the last 15 years of people who've gone so hot out of the gate and then just burned out, and, like, those are the things we kind of look at all the time internally. It's just like, what? looked really hard to do that like are you trying to open five restaurants at once you don't yeah. have the staff to do that or the infrastructure or the capital so we're trying to keep it like all right well look at these examples seem to be 10-year growth and they have you know now have five or ten restaurants and like mm-hmm. i think that's like a much more approachable way to grow a business than oh let's let's strike wild irons hot. we could open 10 in dubai like we have stupid emails that come in yeah. like what is <laughs> at least a, a couple times a week yeah. someone from a different no. country around the world asking if they can franchise our restaurants like it's <laughs> we're six months old like what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> no no the answer is no <laughs> yeah but these are great issues to have to work on and we're we feel really lucky that we're faced with these challenges because yeah. we could, could be standing there in an empty restaurant right now instead <laughs> of sitting in this room with you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we want to, we want to take on that role of like, we want to figure out health insurance and we want to be like people that other people who are opening restaurants can ask questions. to. And we've tried to do that for our friends and tried to guide them for the knowledge that we have gleamed in the last two years. And you know, if they don't listen, that's fine. But like <laughs> we try to help them with like everything before you open a restaurant not related to the menu like and i think that's like the most important thing we can tell people is just like there's a lot that you need to process in a qu- short amount of time to make a decision about a restaurant and you shouldn't really worry about what you're going to cook <laughs> yeah you should worry about negotiating a lease and raising money and um yeah all sorts of other things <laughs> yeah like what, what you're gonna worry about what you're gonna cook in two years is is very like we did like we we did that but it looking back it's just like that doesn't make any sense like, you don't know what equipment's gonna get approved like so it's like that kind of stuff we're happy to talk about with anyone or any podcast or like, i think it's important to talk about that stuff mm-hmm. like, how it's tied to what you're able to do later on if you design your space correctly and how much you can pay your staff if if you do it this way and i think it's important to think about that stuff. yeah we're not experts by any means but we have more knowledge than we did two years ago yeah we learned a lot they're still learning a lot, but I think it should just be more open about that. I don't like people are afraid to talk about their lease because they're like, "Ooh, what if like you negotiate against me?" Like, I'm not gonna negotiate against you. Like, we just want everyone that we want to be successful to be successful. Not like, oh, I opened a restaurant for a year and a half and then like it closed because I negotiated this terrible lease and didn't hire a lawyer. Like, there's a lot of that stuff that could be more out there from even way more experienced restaurateurs and chefs that should talk about it. I think. How are you going to pay your staff twenty five dollars? Well, if you're going to cook that food, that doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> so, like, that's mostly what we talk about in- internally. It's not food menu items. Well, I'm very happy for you guys in the last six months. Thank you so much. Look forward to everything that's coming up. And thanks so much for stopping by. Happy to come by. 
The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.